Welcome to T-Row Price's Confident Conversations on Retirement. My name is Christine Akins, and I'm delighted to be your host. I've spent my career helping people prepare for retirement. My colleagues joining me today are financial professionals who help people on their retirement journey, whether they're planning for retirement or are already there. Today's topic focuses on important conversations couples should have before they retire. While retirement may be a destination or a goal when you're working, once you retire, retirement is now your lifestyle. You will likely spend your time and money differently, and it may take some time to get used to. And if you don't agree on how to do those things, that can be a confidence killer. Today, I'm joined by certified financial planner professionals, Stuart Ritter and Lindsay Theodore. Welcome, Stuart and Lindsay. Thanks. Thank you for having us. So when we talk about couples, who are we talking to? Lindsay, can I turn to you? Sure. So, you know, traditionally, the definition of a couple was a man and a woman who are married and cohabitating and filing joint taxes. But as we know, that definition has changed. This could be a same-sex marriage or partnership. It could be a second, third, or fourth marriage. It could be two people who are partnered and live together but have opted not to marry. Or it could be two people who plan together but are not married and don't even live together. So the definition is wide-ranging, and we hope the topics today are relevant to all these people and their definition of coupledom. You know, retirement touches so many aspects of a person's life. But retirement is not, or not always, a solitary adventure. How important is it to have a shared vision of retirement, Stuart? I think it's critical. It's like any part of a relationship between two people. They've got to be in sync, at least to some degree, in terms of what they want to do and where they want to go. When it comes to retirement specifically, there are two elements of that shared vision that people need to think about. The first one is the obvious one. That's the financial part. How much money do we need? How much money are we going to spend? What are we going to spend it on? What do we do about Social Security and Medicare? The other part of that, though, is their relationship. And you touched on that in the introduction. What kinds of things are we going to do together and what kinds of things are we going to do separately? Who are we going to be with each other when we get to retirement? Let me give you one example of a time when the vision wasn't shared between the two people. It was a Sunday morning, a friend who had just retired the previous Friday, they had the party and the cake at work and all that, asked me to come in and he had laid out all of his financial stuff. He just wanted me to do a a second opinion, a quick look at it. So he's talking through all the analysis he had done. At one point he said, and part of the reason this is going to work, is that my wife has agreed to work full time for the next five years and therefore the money is going to happen. And this voice comes from the other room, I never agreed to that. He said, what do you mean you never agreed to that? I didn't want to do that. I don't want to have to be obligated to work for five years full time. But we talked about it. We didn't talk about it. You talked about it. You never asked me what I wanted to do. Well, maybe you could have told me before I put the paperwork in two days ago. Now, fortunately, they recovered and things worked out and he went back to work part time. But that's a situation where they each had their own vision of retirement. One of them had even thought they had, air quotes, talked about it. But without really sitting down and thinking it through and making sure you're relatively on the same page, you can run into these speed bumps. So make sure when you're thinking through that shared vision, it's not just the financial, it's the relationship. Such a great story. It really brings this conversation to life. Thanks, Stuart. Lindsay, what would you add to that? 
Sure. So shared doesn't necessarily mean the same. When I think of a shared vision, the most important element is that you have shared that vision with your partner, and there's a shared understanding and respect for how each partner sees their retirement. So for instance, my husband plans to immediately retire his business suits, trade in for sweats and track suits, and possibly get a part-time job gassing up yachts because he thinks it would be very interesting to spend time chatting it up with the owners and guests and crew on said yachts. I want to travel, maybe take or teach dance fitness classes, hopefully spend time with some grandkids when I have them. That's a bit far off. But just because we don't share the same vision doesn't mean that we can't appreciate each other's vision and make compromises that will suit both of us and make it possible for both of us. Lindsay, I think you're so right. People can have the same goal for retirement and completely miss that they have different ideas on what that looks like or how to get there. Stuart, in your conversations with clients, how do you find that most people define retirement? They start by defining retirement with a number, either an age or a dollar amount. When I hit this age, I'm going to retire. When I have this dollar amount, I'm going to retire. But really, retirement is about who you're going to be in that stage of your life, what you're going to do. It's less about the label and more about what kinds of things you're going to be engaging in when you get to that phase of your life, which is why when people say, well, I don't know if I'm retired, I, I work part-time, or a lot of people volunteer in retirement, so it's the same structure as working, there's just no paycheck, and then they do other things with their time. Worry less about, am I retired or not, and think more about what the definition of retirement means to you. What are you doing? Who are you going to be? Who are you interacting with? And how does your relationship with the other person change? Good questions that we should answer. So, Stuart, what mistakes do some couples make when it comes to retirement? Not that either party would want to admit a mistake, but are they more financial? Are they more lifestyle? And what can our listeners do to sidestep some of these? There are a couple of different mistakes people can sometimes make. One of the biggest ones, and this occurs with people who are working full-time, is they're so focused on retiring from something that they don't think about what they're retiring to. So retirement to them means I'm going to stop doing all these other things. And they haven't thought about how they're going to fill that time, who they're going to spend their time with, what they're going to do. So the biggest mistake is if you're in the mindset of I can't wait to stop, start thinking about what you want to start doing. The other mistake people make is they assume that the other person is thinking about retirement the same way they are because, you know, that's the way it's going to be. That's the way it should be. Take some time to sit down and start having those conversations. Uh, Lindsay talked about what her husband wants to do and what she wants to do. Make sure you're not just sharing what you want to do but also asking good questions about what the other person wants to do. So make sure that you're not just retiring from something. Make sure you're retiring to something. And also put some effort into understanding what the other person wants. See where the gaps are. See where the overlap is. And try to avoid those mistakes if you can. In another episode, we talk a lot about different money personalities and how that influences your personal handling of your finances. But, Lindsay, how can you reconcile this when there's a difference in spending habits and lifestyle preferences among couples? So I'd say come up with a plan and a budget and try to stick with that before you retire. And when I say budget, I'm not just talking about a financial budget. I'm talking about a time budget, too. 
a couple I've worked with for years. They're very dear to me. One of them really loves building model trains. The other loves photography. So he builds his model trains, and then she films and edits short videos. So that's a nice way of kind of marrying the lifestyle preferences, but also doing it together. Another example is if you love to travel, but your spouse is more of a homebody, you know, maybe you take one trip together, and then the other trips you plan to take with family and friends. But if the differences are more financial, like if your spouse will never give up their $5,000 a year shoe habit, maybe as long as you identify that that's a big expenditure, especially on shoes, you could agree to maybe a two to $3,000 budget or stick with the $5,000, but just you know, plan on cutting expenses in other areas. So you just have to have those conversations. Yeah, building on what Lindsay said, recognize that there are spenders and there are savers. And everybody is a little bit of both. But generally, in any relationship, one person is going to be a bit more of a spender and one person is going to be a bit more of a saver in different categories. So be aware of that. Be attuned to it and recognize that that's bringing the other person the comfort they need and the satisfaction they need in retirement. You know, no matter how much you plan, you'll likely experience post-work life differently in some ways than what you had originally planned. Stuart, what ends up surprising couples most about retirement? One of the things we already mentioned, which is that people have more time and they also have less time. And when you ask somebody who recently retired, you know, what are you doing? They're, oh, I'm busier than I've ever been. So suddenly you've got more control over your time. At the same time, for a lot of people, they're so busy, they feel like they have less control. So one of the big surprises is what happens with time. The other surprise very often is the relationship changes. Now, your relationship has been evolving since you got into it. And anytime you're going through a major life event, that's going to happen. So be aware that this is a moment where you're going to have to think about redefining that relationship, the different roles that you played, the different things that you did, the interests that you have are going to evolve. That's great. Thank you. Lindsay, would you have anything to add? Don't overschedule yourself. You could burn yourself out in retirement with activities just like you could with too much on your plate when you're pre-retirement. Yeah, there's only so many times you can take your dog for a walk. Seriously. My mom takes her dog on like 25-minute walks three times a day. Anyhow, and then I'd also say just make time for each other to just try and find a balance between that me and we time. And also don't put too much pressure on yourself. It's retirement. You're supposed to be not that busy. That's the whole idea. So it's right. You know, conversations about retirement between my husband and I have changed over time, especially since we're in the back half of our careers. You know, retirement used to be this conceptual idea. And now we find that we're talking about really tangible steps, like how to factor in life's milestones, like our kids' graduations, and like who gets to retire first. So what does that mean for the other person? Lindsay, just in your experience with clients, do most people plan to retire at the same time? This question, you know, if you think about it, three or four decades ago wasn't even really very relevant because you had one partner working and one partner taking care of the household and and the children. And so when the primary worker retired, they both retired, right? But obviously now dual-income households are much more the norm than the exception. And so it's a much more relevant question. If you're really close in age, it's perfectly reasonable to plan on retiring at the same time. Of course, there are key financial considerations, making sure that you have enough saved to transition smoothly from saving to spending. 
If you and your partner are 5, 10, or more years apart, the answer is slightly more complicated. If one partner retires at 65 when their spouse or partner is 55 or 60, there are certainly benefits for the younger spouse continuing to work. You have more time to save. You have more time to accrue Social Security earnings, which are based on your 35 highest earning years on an average. And generally, you know, if the younger spouse is working, it puts less stress on your retirement savings for a shorter period of time. If you are five or 10 years apart in age, it is also perfectly reasonable to want to retire at the same time. On the positive side, you will have more time with your spouse in retirement because the likelihood is that that older spouse is going to possibly pass away sooner. And if you're concerned about not having a lot of time together, there's a good reason to retire earlier. But if you do retire, you want to make sure that you guys can cover 40 years, potentially, of retirement. Such great perspectives, Lindsay. Thank you. Stuart, do you see that couples tend to time their retirement either together or have one spouse go first? It varies a lot. As Lindsay pointed out, the old model of how retirement used to work doesn't apply for a lot of people today. What's key for people to do, though, is think through the implications of either synchronizing their retirement or having a plan in place where they're not retiring at the same time. And even if you've put a plan in place, sometimes you're going to have to be flexible. I was talking with one woman who she and her husband had decided since he was older, he would retire. And she absolutely loved her job, so she was going to keep working for another three to five years. Well, about six months into his retirement, she realized she was starting to really resent things. He was getting to sleep late every morning while she had to get up and get dressed and go into work every day. And she said, now, I recognize this was my choice. This was the plan we put together. But I hadn't thought about how our relationship would change when he was able to stay home all the time and I was the only one going to work. So think through not just the individual components of this, but again, how your relationship might evolve and just plan on adapting to whatever the situation is. Lindsay, how do you approach couples with an age difference of, say, five years or even 10 years? Because we are always planning for the longevity of the younger spouse, this typically translates to planning on a longer period in retirement. And I'd reiterate that the bigger the age gap, the more complicated this can tend to get, so keep that in mind. It's important to consider that you might have a slightly higher allocation to stock because you need that money to outpace inflation and grow for a longer period of time. So with couples I work with who do have an age gap, the bucketing strategy makes a lot of sense typically. So you make sure that the next two to three years of income needs or withdrawals are set aside in something more conservative and something like cash or short-term investment instruments. And then maybe the next three to seven years are set aside in something slightly more aggressive, but not too aggressive, and that most of your nest egg is set aside for longer-term growth, so 65 to 75% stock, depending on your risk tolerance. So that bucketing approach can help you to kind of itemize what money you're going to use when and give you some peace of mind with that. But you just want to also consider that you probably need to start out with a lower percentage withdrawal on your investments. So the rule of thumb, about 4% withdrawals in the first year of retirement might not apply to you if there's a big age difference. Stuart, what would you add to that? What Lindsay's talking about is the classic time horizon driving how much of your portfolios and stocks 
and how much is in other investments. So thinking about not just your longevity, but your your partner's longevity as well, and figuring out how both of those play into it. Lindsay, how would you counsel couples who are in a second marriage in terms of approaching retirement? So prior to entering into a second marriage, well, pretty much any marriage, it is important to share your goals, financial priorities, and financial standing with your partner. And full disclosure is key here to avoid any disagreements in the future. And it never hurts to consult with an attorney to ensure that you're each protecting yourselves depending on whether you were previously married and divorced or have children from a previous marriage. Review your estate plan, your insurance coverages, and make sure you share all your ideas with your spouse. Many of my clients, for instance, who are in a second or third marriage, opt to leave some of their assets maybe to their children from a previous marriage, perhaps their taxable accounts, and then leave their IRAs to their spouse. But you want to make sure you share what your plans are and what you're executing with regard to your estate and your beneficiaries with your partner and with your children and maybe former spouses so that it doesn't lead to infighting or grudges. Stuart, let's continue to build on Lindsay's answer. Let's say it's the same situation with second marriages and relationships, but now we're wondering about tax planning or combining money. One of the things that someone told me when we were about to have kids was that they said, fair doesn't mean equal. If you have multiple kids, if you've got different family members from different relationships, different people are going to have different needs, different wants. It doesn't mean everybody has to get the same thing. So as you're thinking about, first of all, of the assets that you have and you're planning on passing it along to somebody else, don't think that it has to be an equal amount to everybody. Now, that can certainly be a great approach, and that way someone isn't sitting there on the other side saying, well, how come you got more and I got less? But it it is a broader issue that you've got to address. The other thing I counsel people is don't overcomplicate this. Sometimes we get so into how I'm going to separate these things and give this over here and here are these conditions. Remember, it's a little tough to conceptualize, but after you've passed away, sometimes many of the things that were important to you in terms of sentimental value don't have that same kind of sentimental value to other people. So recognize that sometimes it's easier just to say, we're dividing things this way, and that's how it's going to be, as opposed to, for example, and I run into this quite a bit, okay, we're going to leave the house to all three of the kids or all three of the kids from this marriage and the two kids from the previous marriage. And that ends up being a big problem because sometimes some of the kids want to keep the house and some of them are like, I'm not paying all the maintenance on this thing. We should be selling it. And what you've done there is create strife that doesn't need to exist. So fair doesn't always mean equal. Don't overcomplicate it. Start having the discussions with the family members. Start testing out the plans. Because sometimes what you think people want isn't actually what they want. And you can have a better solution once you've had the conversations. So discuss what you're thinking about with the family members and then keep changing it as your situation evolves and as you get more feedback from folks. Such great practical tips. Thanks, Stuart. Lindsay, are there any nuances we need to consider if you're in a long-term relationship but you're not married? So some benefits like Social Security and the pension survivor benefits can only be left to a spouse. So if it's just a partner who lives with you or doesn't live with you, that might not be an option. Also, health insurance oftentimes only covers a spouse. 
So you may end up, if you're unmarried, purchasing two separate health insurance plans, either while you're working or, or when you're retired, which can be more costly to the couple. Filing a joint federal tax return can only be done if you're married. So communication for these couples, I think, is even more important about what the shared vision looks like, what assets are being left to the partner. All of that is even more important because you simply have less legal protections when you're unmarried. One of those legal protections that you don't have is who makes health care decisions. Because if you are not a family member, that is not a role you can play unless you have the proper documents in place. So make sure that you've thought through that aspect as well. And if you want a particular person to be making those healthcare decisions for you, you've gone to an attorney and you've gotten the right documents in place so that that piece is taken care of as well. Sometimes retirement happens on our terms and other times it doesn't. So, for example, someone might lose their job or experience a health condition that may force them to stop working earlier than they planned. What should you revisit if that's the case? Lindsay, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Anytime you are faced with a life event, it's really important to revisit your financial plans, your estate plan, your beneficiary designations, Social Security strategy, insurance coverages, and your budget to see how these kinds of changes may impact that shared vision for retirement. But the best thing to do is have a plan and have an emergency fund set aside prior to any of those things coming up. So generally, we do suggest that pre-retirees and retirees have between 13 months of expenses put aside in a kind of an emergency fund. It could be as much, though, as three years, depending on your risk tolerance and how concerned you are about losing a job or maybe having some type of not-so-ideal diagnosis. So it may be difficult to set aside that much, but it's important because we just never know what life may hand to us. Stuart, do you hear stories of people retiring unexpectedly? What if it wasn't their choice? Are they resilient? How do people adjust? It turns out that one of the biggest drivers of people's happiness in retirement actually is whether they got to decide to retire or whether somebody retired them. And as Lindsay alluded to, two biggest drivers of people retiring earlier than they expected was they lost their job or a health issue. And sometimes it's their own health issue, but sometimes it's a health issue that a family member had, and therefore they had to go into retirement earlier than expected to take care of that other family member. So a couple of things to think about recognize that a lot of people end up retiring sooner than expected. So in addition to financially, as Lindsay talked about, keep yourself in the mindset that this might happen to you. So if it does, it's less of an unexpected event. The other thing you can do is start doing some things to try to regain some of the control that you may feel you lost because something happened that you didn't plan on. So if you can work, for example, a part-time job so you feel like, okay, I'm still connected to the working world, I'm doing some of this on my own terms, that kind of thing can help. So have the resiliency, just like anything else with life, things are going to happen that you don't expect. Expect to have to adapt to new things. Stuart, your comment around expect to adapt really rang true for me. You know, somebody had said to me the other day, sometimes it feels like we're trying to buy an umbrella in the middle of a brainstorm. And that was playing in my mind as you were giving that example. Stuart, another question for you. Should one person handle all of the finances or should it be a joint effort? 
Well, in any relationship, there's going to be naturally specialization of labor. Certain people are going to do certain things. Sometimes it's because they have more interest in it. Sometimes it's because they have more time. Sometimes it's just random. It turns out in my household, I do all the dentist appointments for the kids, and my wife does all the doctor's appointments for the kids. We have no idea how that happened. It just randomly turned out that way. But that's what happens when you've got two people working through life. One of them is going to be more interested, have more time, or randomly be doing more with one thing than another. And it's perfectly fine and normal when that happens with the finances. And it's not finances with a capital F. There are different components. Some people are doing more with the investments, and some people are doing more with the day-to-day budgeting. All of that is perfectly normal. What changes a bit for people when they get to retirement is the recognition that at some point, one person will be doing all of it. So go into retirement with that awareness with that understanding that, hey, this is something I've always taken care of. They didn't have to worry about it. They didn't even have to know how to do it and recognize a change needs to happen. So the operational aspects of it, okay, how do you pay this particular bill and some of the decision-making that goes on behind it. Lindsay, what would you add to that? Yeah, in, in my household, I've been designated the CFO and my husband says he's the CEO. So I handle the shopping for the best price on detergent and making sure that the kids have all their snacks for the week and paying the bills for the most part. But he's very involved in those conversations, too. And how should couples approach claiming Social Security? Lindsay, let's start with you. So generally, you would want to each wait until age 70 to claim benefits, if that's at all possible. But that does depend on your health situation, longevity expectations, genetics, and those kinds of things. So the longer you work, especially in those later years when you're hopefully earning higher income because you're further along in your career, it brings up the average and brings up the amount that you'll be paid. And generally, we do suggest that at least the person who is a higher income earner who has a higher benefit does wait until age 70, if at all possible, and if your savings can support you in waiting till age 70, because when one of you passes, only that larger payment remains. So the more you can amp up that payment, the better off whoever the surviving spouse will be. Depending on your situation, too, it may make sense to collect your own benefit or file for a spousal benefit, which is a percentage of your spouse's full retirement age benefit. So you can actually schedule a call with Social Security, or you can speak with a financial professional about weighing the strategies and what would be best for you. Very helpful. So if we're retiring early, what health insurance considerations need to be addressed? Lindsay, let's start with you. So the cost of purchasing health insurance can be quite pricey if you're buying it on the private market. You are eligible for Medicare benefits at 65, and keep in mind that those benefits only cover you. When you're 65, they do not cover your spouse, which is a common misconception when people are first looking into this. Typically, an insurance specialist can walk you through your options with purchasing private health care, and of course, there are now exchanges available for your state where you can research the options of what covers what and what the cost would be. But if you retire prior to 65, from a company that offers health insurance that you were part of, you also do have the option of continuing that coverage at a higher rate under the COBRA program. So for some, that gets them through that period of time so that they have less time that they have to go out and buy private insurance before turning 65. Such important considerations. Thank you, Lindsay. So what estate planning documents should you have in place and update on a regular basis? So a will, 
a financial power of attorney and a healthcare proxy are crucial. You'll also want to revisit your direct beneficiaries that you may have on IRAs or 401ks or other retirement plans, your TOD or transfer on death or payable on death. Those are the beneficiaries you do have the option of naming on taxable accounts, whether at the bank or at an investment firm. Make sure everything's accurate. Make sure the correct date of birth is on file for your beneficiaries and all of that. If you have more complex needs, such as caring for a special needs child or protect an adult child's inheritance from a soon-to-be ex-spouse or something of that nature, you may consider setting up a trust, which allows you to have more control over the assets even when you're not here. An estate planning attorney could go through those options and educate you on the types of trusts and whether or not they make sense for you and what your concerns are. What Lindsay's talking about is the answers to two important questions. When you pass away what should happen to your money, and what should happen to your stuff. And these documents give us the answers to those questions based on what's important to you. You know, this has been a great conversation. Let's summarize a few key takeaways for our listeners. Lindsay, what would you highlight? So I'd highlight that honest communication and full disclosure is key. Identifying your goals and challenges as a couple early on in your planning will make it so much easier later on. And it'll also just make it easier for you to come up with a plan to address some of the challenges that you may face, you know, together. So if one spouse plans to take off some time or took some time off to start a business or raise the children, really give consideration to maybe saving more to cover for the fact that they're not going to be adding to their Social Security earnings or adding to their own retirement plans. Stuart, what would you add? You're entering a new phase of life. Be open to figuring it out as you go. Recognize that many of the old rules won't apply, so this is an opportunity for you to figure out what the new rules are. If you go into retirement with the mindset of, I'm going to figure this out as I go, I'm going to adapt to what happens in addition to the plan that you already have, that'll put you in a position where retirement can be more successful for you, however you define success. It's a great thought. Well, it's hard to believe, but it's time for us to start wrapping up this discussion. So we want to leave our listeners with a parting thought or a next step. Lindsay, let's start with you. Set up a money date with your partner and maybe make it fun and get some poster board, get some scissors and magazines or your color printer out and create like a vision board together. I was thinking this will be really fun to do. Make it like a Venn diagram. You know, on one side, it's kind of where you what you want to do, the hobbies you want to take time on. And then on the other side, it's your spouses or your partners. And then in the middle, put all the places you want to visit together and the hobbies you want to enjoy or new things you want to try as a couple. If you don't have a positive outlook on what retirement will look like and what you're striving for, it makes it really difficult to have those conversations about the challenges you may face to get there. So I'd say start with having a money date and creating that vision board. I love the idea of the money date. Stuart, what's your parting thought? Beware the should. If you go into retirement thinking, this is what should happen, this is what I should do, this is what my partner should do, this is how we should live our lives in retirement, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Recognize that each of you naturally will have some expectations of what retirement will be like, but don't get so locked into how it should be that if it isn't that way, suddenly it's a problem. Recognize that you're figuring this out as you go. Don't think that it should be a certain way. Make it the way you want it to be. It's terrific. 
Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. This has been a terrific conversation. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Christine. Again, I'm Christine Akins, and thank you for listening. Please tune in for our next episode, which focuses on balancing saving for college and retirement. If you like this podcast, please rate us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I hope your next step towards retirement is a confident one. T. Rowe Price, Retire with Confidence. This episode of Confident Conversations on Retirement is provided for general and educational purposes only and is not intended to provide legal, tax, or investment advice. This podcast does not provide recommendations concerning investments, investment strategies, or account types. It is not individualized to the needs of any specific investor and not intended to suggest any particular investment action is appropriate for you, nor is it intended to serve as a primary basis for investment decision-making. The views contained herein are as of the date noted on the material and are subject to change without notice. These views may differ from those of other T. Rowe Price Group companies and or associates. The opinions and commentary provided do not take into account the investment objectives or financial situation of any particular investor or class of investor. Investors will need to consider their own circumstances before making an investment decision. Copyright 2022, T. Rowe Price, all rights reserved. T. Rowe Price, invest with confidence, retire with confidence, the Bighorn Sheep design, and confident conversations, collectively and or apart, are trademarks of T. Rowe Price Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. T. Rowe Price Investment Services Incorporated, T. Rowe Price Associates Incorporated, and T. Rowe Price Investment Management Incorporated are affiliated companies.